Hey everyone, welcome to the Pretty Darn Alright Podcast, where two friends talk about creative work, gaming, and ourselves. I will be your host, Chandler. And I'm your co-host, Brandon. So, because this is an episode zero, we're going to talk about ourselves for a little bit. And we're going to start about what we do, what we aspire to, because we're both creative workers, I guess you could say, creative workers, creatives, that have been trying to make it in uh, any kind of way that we find uh, successful. And have we reached that yet? No, I don't think so. But we're getting pretty close, I think. And at least mentally, we're Are pretty we? close. <laughs> I like to think so. Um, <laughs> the numbers uh, disagree. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the numbers disagree, but at heart, we're winners. So uh, currently, I'm getting into voice acting. That's that's my shtick. I'm trying to get Brandon into voice acting as well. You know, we're working through that, trying to figure that out. And I'm also trying to get back into YouTube because, you know, every every person our age has probably uploaded at least one YouTube video. We've uploaded a few more and you've uploaded you've uploaded a couple over like almost 800. Yeah. And uh, I'm actually going to start streaming on YouTube, you know, share that all in one platform there. And um, content creation, I think, is something that's very difficult. And I think there's a lot of things that people misunderstand or don't understand about content creation. And that's part of why we're starting this podcast is because we're content creators. We've been kind of looking at content creators, trying to understand content creation and how social media affects that and how to kind of gain success for years. And we have a little bit of insights. You know, we don't have millions of subscribers. Hell, I don't even think I have a hundred, but I have a pretty interesting understanding of more of the technical elements. And, you know, my friend here has been working alongside me to understand some of those technical elements and we do have differing opinions so it's interesting to talk some of those out so we're going to start with the idea of what it takes for someone to be a content creator you know you look at videos and there's what like hundreds of people now that have a million subscribers there's so many people now that have millions of subscribers how do you oh, become uh, one of those It's people? in the thousands. Yeah. It's thousands now. It's it's insane how many people now have a huge audience to basically take their every word and shout it out to millions of people. You know those uh those play buttons they give out for your milestones on YouTube? <laughs> yeah. They've given out, I think, over one or two million uh one hundred thousand subs. And they've given out, I think, close to 100,000 million ones, if not more already. Yeah, it's it's insane how much room there is for new people to come in. Because if you look at the numbers for YouTube, there's so many people. If you look at the numbers for Twitch, there's so many people now. But you don't see everybody being successful. So we want to talk about what makes certain things successful. And I have a little bit of a background in terms of the production side of things. I'm actually a film major. I'm going to college for my film degree. I know a lot about it. I've been involved with it for years. I've been probably working with audio equipment for over half a decade. So when I say this, I mean it. Audio, audio, audio. Make your audio kick ass fantastic. I swear that's the one thing I want you to do. If you can take anything away from anything we ever say, or at least I say, audio. Have good audio. Having good audio makes all the difference for a lot of people. Think about it this way. When you're watching a movie, 50% of what you're watching is audio. You have so many elements going on. You have camera work. You have acting. There are so many things going on visually that you can change and improve on. But for audio, it's just what's there. In making the audio good, will make people so much happier to watch your content because they're going to be listening to something that's that's pleasant to the ear. And to kind of go into that, how do you get good audio? Number one thing I will hold to the standard is your room. I can definitely say I've had my fair share of microphones in terms of the cheap ones. You know, I had a Snowball. I know, I know, Brandon, you had a Yeti. I had the fucking ice, the snowball ice to oh, start that's out right. with, which was the, the the retarded baby version of the snowball, because it had no, uh, what is it, cardinal directions and stuff. It didn't have none of the cardio directions, none of that stuff. That the switch just was removed because you saved ten dollars, and it ended up sounding worse. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Ugh, I fucking hated that thing. So cardioid pickup pattern, that's kind of the one you want. If you see something that has an omnidirectional pickup pattern, just don't get it. I mean, there are so many options out there and there are so many technical elements out there that you don't understand as a consumer. When we talk about um, like the Snowball and the Yeti, really interesting USB microphones. These USB microphones, you just plug and play type deal. You just plug it in and you go. That's not really super common because a lot of XLRs need an interface. You can't just XLR and then plug it into your computer. So what should you get when you're first starting out? You should get a good room. <laughs> I mean, that's, that can be a little more expensive than a microphone. But having a treated space, I am making a little booth out of my closet for voice acting. And... All the difference it's made for me in terms of sound quality. When I have my headphones on and I'm listening and I'm I have those little details in my head, what makes all the difference is the room. I use an Audio Technica AT2020 in my closet for voice recording, and I'm recording this on a pod mic. So this microphone has cost me more money, I think, than an AT2020, just slightly. But in the end, it's gonna cost me way more because this is a power-hungry mic. If you don't know anything about microphones, be careful what you're going for. If it's called the dynamic microphone, I probably would recommend you don't get it. If you do, you're probably going to have a little more heartache. And by heartache, I mean there's a difference between condenser microphones and dynamic microphones. And I could go through all of the technical aspects about it, but here's the one thing that you should know about it. Dynamic microphones take more power to make sound louder. And getting more power isn't easy. Now, with condenser microphones, you do need something usually called 48 volts or phantom power. And a lot of interfaces have this. But, like, if you just want a bare bones breakdown of what you should get, probably an AT2020 and a Scarlett interface of some sort, like a like the Scarlett Solo, the 2i2. But if you're not looking to spend a lot of money, like, you just want to put as little money down as possible... Get an Audio-Technica Q2U or an ATR2100X. Those you can plug directly into your computer. They look like those stage microphones, and they sound great. So now that we've kind of covered audio, what kind of content do you want to make, right? And this is something where we can start to share a little bit more personal about because, you know, with audio, it's very technical, but this is not technical to an extent, right? So what kind of content do you do you absolutely love to make, Brandon? Let's plays. That's all I ever really do. Yeah, and, and I I don't think I I've made a lot of different kinds of videos because I'm very interested in a lot of different like styles of videos. But right now I'm looking at video essays. I have a video essay that I've been cooking up and I just I'll probably have time for it when I get back from my trip that I'm taking. But there are so many different types of videos. If you can nail down what you like and become the master of that, you're going to be in a good spot. The issue comes with if there's a lot of people that are masters of that craft, you know, I'm, you know, both of us just threw down genres of YouTube videos that are insanely saturated, like oversaturated. You know, the rad Brad is, you know, famous for his let's plays. He's like the let's play guy for a long time. And then you have in like the the side that I am, there's so many people. I think there's so many people that now they make videos about discussing the content creators almost as if, a, as if they're a genre of their own. It's so interesting. And the thing that you really need to do to make your video stand out is to not only make what you love, but to make what people want to watch. You know, there's got to be a sort of balance. If you want to be successful, if your number one thing is success, you have to do something that you love and then counter out, counter out what people want to watch and then find that middle of what you love and what people want to watch. And that's so difficult to do, I think. You know what I mean? See... With this whole finding content that we want to do, this is going to go back to like what you were talking about with the microphones and audio and stuff. For me, I don't. I think audio is important, but I'm not audio driven like you. 
I think people should figure out what kind of content they want to make. And then that completely changes up what they're going to be doing because vlogging and things like that and outside community videos and you're not going to have microphone setups really. You're not going to have like a treated room and stuff like that. You know, people make videos going around the world and all sorts of outside videos and stuff. So for me, like I think the most important thing isn't audio, audio, audio. I would say it's more dedication and passion towards what you're making because if you don't enjoy what the fuck you're doing, that shows through your videos. Whenever I was doing uh, Let's Plays, when I did that Dark Souls 3, I started out so passionate with my Dark Souls 3 Let's Play, and then you kind of notice about halfway through, I'm not really doing a Let's Play, I'm more doing, you know, streaming. And I was treating it more like a stream and stuff, my passion sort of went out the window for the Let's Play aspect, and it kind of got sloppy, and I'm just very, like, dissatisfied with those videos and things like that. So I, I think more dedication and passion to a certain type of video that people enjoy more than audio. That, that's an interesting perspective. I, you know, of course, I absolutely do agree with the sense that you have to have passion to make something good. Um, but to kind of touch back on like audio, and you mentioned outdoors, and and for those people that do vlog that do go outdoors, there is you know a whole mess of techniques out there to bring that because like nobody wants to necessarily watch a video where. You're outside and the wind is so bad, you, you know, they can't hear what you're saying. And, you know, there are tons of tricks. You can, you know, buy something to put on a microphone to do that. You can get lavaliers. Lavaliers are those little clip-on microphones you see on, like, TV, on, like, late-night shows especially because you don't normally see them in movies. Um, but I do think, you know, audio is super important. But you're right when you talk about passion. And I think it's so interesting to, to, like, do you do something that you're passionate about but people aren't necessarily looking for or do you think that like people should strive to look for the middle like look for the middle of like between what people want to you know watch and what they're looking for versus passion like is there a middle ground or is there a left and right uh i mean this would kind of depend on the kind of content you're making and stuff i think at least when you're starting out you should aim towards passion something you enjoy because Content creation, like, you know, it looks easy, but it's really not, especially depending on the kind of thing you're doing. You know, you may have a video that takes you fucking 15 hours to edit. That's a lot of dedication and work. Or if you sit down and do Let's Plays and you crank out five videos a day and you're recording for eight hours a day every day, that's a lot of work. And if you're just getting into that kind of stuff, you're obviously not going to do those kind of workloads. But if you're not very passionate starting out, you're not going to stay committed. You get into content creation, you've been doing it six months to a year now, you're still passionate, you're doing what you love. But like, for example, you know, you're playing games and you start noticing that one of the big trends is to jump on like the biggest multiplayer games and stuff, but you're not really a fan of those multiplayers. If you've, you know, you've been doing it for a little while and things like that, if you can sacrifice your passion a little bit to kind of bring in an audience and stuff, you can bring in an audience who like whatever's hot. For example, you know, Fortnite was hot for a very long time. But the thing is, though, is that if you bring those people in, a lot of them will see the passion that you had for your other content, and some will stay around for your passion, not for the current trend that's just going on in the moment. You will lose a lot of viewers, you will lose a lot of subscribers and stuff if you don't stay on the hottest thing all the time. But by getting on the hottest thing, you can meet new people and stuff and find those dedicated followers and stuff who enjoy what you do, and it doesn't matter what you do. They just enjoy you as an individual. It just takes a lot of dedication and time and work to get those kind of people to stay. It's interesting that you use games specifically as as a trend. I think there's also a pretty prominent trend in what kind of videos are getting popular and, and the adaptability of content creators. Because obviously there are some people who can sit in front of a camera for 10 minutes like Moist Critical and just rack in the views. But then not everybody's looking for that. And sometimes you have channels more like Ludwig's where I feel like his content evolves constantly. And there's so many different, um, I, I guess, metas. I'm going to, I'm going to use the word meta for YouTube videos. We're going to see how that works. I think there's so many different metas and they evolve constantly. So when you look at, um, for example, those kind of top streamers in their YouTube channels always reflect, I think, the meta of YouTube because they have hired editors that research these things and figure it out and know what's hot, know what's coming up and and adapt the, the, the future videos and the current videos to reach that YouTube meta. And I think one of the biggest 
contributors to this idea of YouTube metas is probably Dream. You know, you know, I, I cheating scandal aside, we're not talking about that today. But we're going to talk about before he was popular and how he got popular. You know, he had made content, you know, just like you had kind of said and you were kind of pitching to people. He made content that he was happy with and then took a break from YouTube and then came back after doing tons of research on how YouTube worked, that he knew what people were looking for. He knew what people wanted to see and he knew how to make that stuff. And then he did it. And he, you kind of have to figure out what people are looking for and what people want to watch. And that seems like such a hard thing. You know what I mean? Like, how do you know what your audience wants to see? Yeah, like watching people and, you know, like, what is it? isn't like shorts right now are the big thing on YouTube? They're starting. They just started shorts, which are less than a minute long. And it's speaking of shorts, you know, if you're here looking to get into shorts and you are looking for YouTube success specifically, be wary. It's a very interesting dynamic because a lot of the things that require uh, that YouTube requires for people to be members their new kind of paid platform stuff and how monetization works really doesn't actually work in YouTube shorts. If you get 30 million views, your watch time is like 30 million minutes. Whereas a 10 minute video with 30 million views is 10 times that. So it's interesting to see how that works. But yeah, yeah, you did mention uh, how, shorts had just come up and it was and it's interesting to see how that monetarily works and that has a successful thing works because i have seen a lot of tiktokers uh bring their content to shorts because you know tiktok is short youtube shorts are short easy way to repost and it's interesting also that tiktokers are reposting a lot of their content to youtube because it's again that whole relevance thing that's what people want to see people like tiktok videos they like that short format they like shorter formats so much that the 10 minute multiple ad requirement is now eight minutes did you notice that i did not so they changed it because people like shorter content and they like clicking through and so they made the requirement for multiple ads you know everyone knew it was, it was 10 minutes you know everyone joked you know oh your minutes 1001 and now it's like eight minutes. And so people are making shorter videos now. Now you see videos closer to seven minutes, eight minutes, nine minutes. And it's interesting that people are adapting to not only what YouTube wants, but YouTube's adapting to what the viewers want. So it's it's so interesting to look at what the viewer wants. And someone pitched me this tip, and I think it's really cool. If you open a tab in incognito and you go onto YouTube and you just start searching for the con like the kind of content you want to make, it shows you not what YouTube thinks you want to see, like when you're on a regular browser, because, you know, incognito sheds some of that. You see what people are looking for. You see what they're thinking that everybody wants to see. So you get to see more what people really want to see. And that's interesting. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, you can get a VPN to uh, better that, and then that changes per country as well. Yeah. Every country is going to have uh, different stuff. So even if it's the same content, it could be the same category, the same kind of content, the same video length. The content is still going to be varied per country that you're in. Yeah, and, I, and then you, you can kind of try and figure out what people want to see that way, but you can never really know. And so when you upload your videos, if you're completely worried about how it's going to do how you can get more views that i can definitely i think personally i've felt a lot of um discontent i guess would be the word with uploading because i am a very success oriented person i'm a very goal driven person and when i don't get feedback that immediately signals success or even in the long term if i know i'm not going to get that or if i can see over the long term i'm not getting any success i kind of feel the need to stop and it's interesting how that affects my youtube content creation and my passions like gaming because on youtube i make videos very sporadically and i always try to do something different something new because i i, I think i rationalize in my head 
I have to try something new that I enjoy because not only will I be able to better find stuff that is more suited to me and that people will like, I'll find something else that I enjoy to do. And that's interesting. You know, with speaking of YouTube and like content changing and stuff, I don't know how long you've been watching YouTube, but I've been watching YouTube for 11 years now, since 2010, like since PewDiePie uploaded his first videos early days at YouTube. Uh, the kind of content I watch has not changed in 11 years. And two channels that I have watched since they started, Vanoss uh, and Markiplier and shit, you know, their contents have changed some, but I've also noticed that in a lot of ways, especially more of a, towards Vanoss, uh, his content actually hasn't changed all that much. He started out with just really shitty video like quality of him playing with friends and really awful mics to now he's still just playing the same like eight games with his friends for the past five and a half years with the same friends, same everything. They just have a little bit better editing and better microphones and stuff. And then, you know, like Mark, Mark still does those long let's play. He'll do a 10 minute let's play. He'll do a two and a half hour let's play. He'll do a four and a half hour let's play. You know, he does whatever he wants with let's plays and games and stuff. And he, now he's doing like more videos. Like, you know, he's making scripts and he's doing YouTube red and studio shit like that. But you know, his core videos and stuff with his games and stuff are still pretty much the same. They've just changed up the editing some. And it's just kind of, to me, it's like my whole content has not changed in 11 years, but in 11 years, YouTube has evolved so much. Right. It's kind of crazy. So it's interesting that you bring up those cases specifically, because I find that those cases don't have to technically change their content. You know, if Vanoss and his crew play the same game for the next, you know, four years, even if what's popular is changing, what makes them popular isn't changing. You know what I mean? Like with both them yeah. and Markiplier, what makes them popular and unique is the fact that their content isn't what they're playing. They're, they, they are video game content creators for the, the, you know, the most part. That's how they started, especially Markiplier. But that's not what makes them them per se. It's a personality thing. So it's interesting that you can look at people and look at personality and that could be more of the content than what they're actually doing and i think it's super difficult and super mentally straining to try and be one of those people you know what i mean can i like go to a personality store and just get a new one because <laughs> like it, it i i basically only watch people on youtube for their personality i watch markiplier i don't give a damn what he is doing He's just a cool, funny dude. Vanos, I don't give a shit what they're doing. I'm just there to listen to the jokes. Tio, I don't care if he's playing a multiplayer game or a horror game. I do pref I do have preferences. Like Markiplier, I would rather watch horror. Tio, I would rather watch horror and stuff. But it doesn't matter what they're doing at the end of the day. The only person I've ever got a little nitpicky about the game was the gaming limit. But besides that, everyone I watch is just strictly, strictly personality. And it's like, can I go buy a new personality so... Because I've got 700 videos that is all just games and shit. But, you know, I'm hoping and striving for the personality to be the key thing. And it, it's, just, it's just not working after six and a half years. Right. Personality. That's such a tough, I guess, thing to wrap around with YouTube. Because I, I think what people confuse with people like Markiplier, especially for how they are on camera, is that they're not these people. And when you want to become a content creator of this likeness... You can't be one of these people all the time. And for the people that want to be personality streamers, personality YouTubers, personality podcasters, you have to put on a character. And that character has to be, a, you know, the character that everyone wants to see. Of course, that character is a part of you. You're sort of exaggerating yourself in some ways. When you look at a streamer that streams for 14 hours, obviously they're not a character or they're really damn good actors. But you have to sort of take yourself and make yourself like go to 100. Like you got to take yourself when you're at a 10, which is your normal. Let's say 10 is your normal, 10%. 10% of you is the normal, right? That's how you kind of, you're chill, you're functioning, and then you got to ramp it up to 100. And you got to be like the chillest person, you know, <laughs> like... Or the funniest person, or 
the angriest person. You know, if you look at Tyler one, you know, we talked about audio, God. audio, audio. There is an exception to every rule. You're going to see a lot of things that people say are rules or that you should do. And you're going to see a lot of people that don't follow those rules and are successful. Like Tyler one, the guy uses a G403 headset. I think it is. And he screams into that shit till it blows out. That is not what I recommend for anyone to do, but that his personality, the way he is, his on-screen presence, it just works. And you got to find what for you as a content creator just works. We'll have another example of that. Uh, H2O Delirious, he uses the same Astro like 10 or Astro 20 gaming headset mic for the last seven years. Between seven years ago and now, the only thing he got better with with his audio was he figured out how to like, I think he moved into like a treated room a little bit and he edits his audio a little bit like to the best that he can. And he uses the same headset mic. Yeah, it's it's again an exception. And that's what I think people miss out on is that like, they're like, oh, I can do that. I can scream into a mic and blow it out and play League of Legends. I can be the next Tyler One. Well, no, there's so much about Tyler One as a person, as a online character per se, that makes him unique and unreplicatable. And you have to do that for yourself because if you try to be Markiplier, if you try to be Tyler One, you're not going to make it. You have to be you, but to level 100. And it's so interesting to see people burn out faster. I think people burn out faster when they try really hard to put on a character. And it's so much easier for people to put on a character for longer when it's an extension of themselves. And I think that's difficult for people to kind of understand. You could look at like my older videos and stuff and you can see that like, you know, obviously I don't sit in my bedroom while I play a video game and talk for 30 minutes to an hour straight normally. When I sit here and play video games, I'm quiet 95% of the time. Because I'm doing YouTube now, I will occasionally talk to myself now because of the YouTube habit or the Twitch habit. But over like two years, it got to the point where basically I figured it out. Talk. Whenever you're doing something, your brain, you say like you say shit to yourself. Even if you don't even realize it, you are talking to yourself in your head at some point when something is going on. So instead of just being quiet when something's going on, just say whatever it is. Say whatever is on your mind about the current situation. And for me, that was all it was with gaming and stuff. I would just be so quiet because that's what I was used to. I was used to not voicing whatever was on my mind in the moment. It doesn't have to be game related. That's one of the things about like Let's Plays or you know any kind of gaming video so it doesn't have to be strictly related to the game you could make some kind of random joke about how it reminded you of your dad's uncle doing something last year at christmas time just say whatever is on your mind in the moment and just talk that's one of the biggest things starting out just get those words out don't choke up don't be quiet on camera and stuff if you're trying to do these longer let's plays and stuff or longer content in general because if you're dead silent nobody's really going to want to watch if you're making content that requires you to be speaking Absolutely. When you record, if you record for like two hours, you know, you might get a 10 minute video out of that if you're, you know, pushing for that. And if you're not talking, if you're waiting for the one moment, the one joke to line up perfectly and add that into that 10 minute video, you're not going to get it. You have to keep going. And at first it's awkward as hell. Trust me, there's no way that the two of us six years ago could have done a podcast like this. We would be absolutely tongue tied. We would be quiet. We wouldn't know what to do. We wouldn't have opinions because we would be like, I don't want, I don't know. I don't have an opinion. I, I can't see. I that. mean, I nearly choked up on the intro. <laughs> it's still six and a half years later. It's okay. Like, you know, but you got to get the, you know, your brain going. You got to say whatever's on your mind and just talk. Yeah. There's no one else here. Just talk to yourself. Say whatever you want and things like that. Within reason, don't break TOS. But, you know, say what's on your mind and say what you want to say. It's always within games and stuff, too, because, like, you know, games, depending on the kind of game you're playing, are usually not 100% story. It's more like 80% game, 20% story. So you have to feel that 80% of that Let's Play with you. 
and whatever is going on. Because that 80% gameplay is not there for the viewer nine times out of the ten. That 80% gameplay is you, for you the player. And so you as the player and now the content creator, you have to entertain your audience or talk to your audience for the next 80% of the game because the story and all is not going to do your job for you throughout the whole game. You have to stay active. Yeah, no, you're totally right there. And if you play a multiplayer game and you play solo, you have so much more to fill in for. You have a hundred percent to fill in for the only time that there is an exception. You know, we're going to talk about exceptions again. The exception to that rule is if you're a pro level player, you can be absolutely dull and unearned and unentertaining and still be able to pull in an audience as long as you're good enough at what you do. So you have to pick what you're good at. Are you a good person to listen to? Are you a good person to watch play the game? Cause you're so damn good at it. Or are you just fun to be in the presence of? And you have to figure out which one you are most like and which one you have the most fun doing and be that. You have to like embody it. You have to be 100% in it. And it's really discouraging at first when you're not because you have to start somewhere. You have to have a growth mindset. You can't have a static mindset. The static mindset is I'm bad at this because I'm just bad at this. The growth mindset is I'm bad at this. How can I improve? You know, looking for the ways to, you know, improve. I always say that I'm bad at math and I'm always going to be bad at math. And that's true. Not because I have a static mindset, but normally it's because you have a static mindset, right? You're, I'm just, I was just born bad at math. Like you may have been born worse at math than some people, but you can study, you can get better. And I'm just never going to, you know, put in the effort to get better. But that's something that you have the ability to do. And having that growth mindset will make you a better content creator and a better person. And that's the kind of thing that you have to keep your eyes locked on for is what's the next thing I can do to improve myself, improve my content. That's the big thing you got to look out for. And the next big thing you got to look out for is how to manipulate the system. I wrote this down in my notes because I felt it was so damn important to talk about because I think both of us here have vastly underestimated how much that shit matters. Um, I'm just now grasping how much that shit matters. Manipulating the system you're using. If you're on any internet platform, be it YouTube, be it a social media like Instagram, if you're on Twitch, if you're on TikTok, there is a method to the madness. When you open up YouTube, whether you like it or not, it's picked videos it thinks you'll, you're going to like. And it figures you out as much as it can. And all of those videos have metadata. Metadata is a huge thing on YouTube especially, and I'm going to use YouTube specifically because that's the one I know the most about. You have a description, you have tags, you have a title, you have a thumbnail, and those are just the beginning of the things that you can do to market yourself. You have a title that needs to reflect not only what's kind of the trend in titles, the trend in YouTube titles changes all the time. There's always a different format that people start to title with. Then the description matches that in some way and then improves upon that. Then your metadata, your tags help figure out what YouTube, like what YouTube videos are related to your video. Do your videos happen to be like this guy's videos? Well, a lot of people are watching this guy's videos. Maybe they'll like your video. Figuring out how to manipulate the algorithm or the system that is used to promote content will benefit you, benefit you, benefit you. There is no wrong move in taking time to research how your platform works. Your content can be amazing, but if you don't Put in a couple of tags, have a description, have a title, have a good thumbnail. People are going to be so much less likely to click on your video. And if you're the first 30 seconds, first minute, first two minutes, don't grip them and they click through, that hurts you. Every time they click away from your video, you have just lost points in the algorithm. Every time they stay in your video for four minutes, 10 minutes, the whole damn thing, you've just won a point. It's so tipped not in your favor 
So you have to make it work because it won't do it for you. And it's so interesting to learn about specifically the YouTube algorithm, like putting your title as the first thing in your description actually boosts how likely they are to recommend you to somebody. Having tags that are actually the titles of videos that are your other videos will actually boost how often you see your videos in the recommended tab when watching your video. If someone's watching your video, they might see another one of your videos in the recommended tab because you put in the description or the, the tags, my bad, that title of that other video. And there's so many tricks and details that people don't know because they don't tell you. YouTube won't tell you how it works. Twitter won't tell you how it works. They just won't tell you how their algorithm, how their system works. So we just have to figure it out on our own. And that's a little bit scary. You know, there is no right answer because the people that have the answers won't tell us. So we have to play this guessing game. And it's something that you have to really look out for and really keep your eyes on because a lot of people will talk about it, but nobody really knows. And then I think you wanted to say something before we moved on to that. Yeah, I just don't remember what it was. So I'm going to just talk about the algorithm. Uh, I think I'm one of the very, 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 very rare cases where I don't think the algorithm works for my recommended videos. I don't give a shit what anyone says. It does not work for my account. I watch two to three gaming channels. I watch Nuke's Top 5 Ghost videos, and I listen to a few music videos. That's it, right? So you would expect some music videos of the same genre, rap, you know, sad music, whatever. You'd expect some gaming videos. But I get stuff that is so pushed so hard. That stuff I've never watched, never will watch, don't want to watch. I even get stuff in other languages like Arabic, Russian, Chinese, and things like that. And I'm on my YouTube right now, and I got this some kind of MMA, 12, MMA fighting, 12 seconds. She passes vibe check, smiling emoji. Bathroom reveni- reveni- renovation. Uh, my pool construction time lapse by Tom Smith. Uh, Alliance sees her dad after seven years. Country blues music and Luke. Luke's entrance, but with the Force <laughs> theme. You know I don't watch Star Wars. Maybe it wants to try and expose you to new content because it doesn't know what you like. Like, it knows you like specific content creators, but it's like, well, what else? maybe he'll like this. And they're just poking and prodding you until you pick more videos. And I do have some, like, Undertale stuff popping up. And, like, and I, maybe that is what it is because, like, it's starting to drown out my normal recommendations. It's kind of getting irritating because now I'm getting, like, Breaking Bad finale part two. Like, what? Or, you know, River Erosion, which is literally just a time lapse of River Erosion. Why? <laughs> oh, why man. is this in my recommended? I don't care what people make videos about, but why? And this is this is how my YouTube recommended has been since I made the account six years ago. Wow, wow. I, I yeah, I think they just don't know what to recommend you. That's the only thing I can think of is they don't know what to recommend you. But before, because I do want to talk about gaming a little bit, and we have about. 20 minutes till we hit an hour and this is where our kind sponsor would come in and have an advertisement for you but we don't have an advertiser um so instead we're gonna break away and we're gonna talk about the hardest lessons we've learned as content creators. this podcast is brought to you by durex condoms oh my god no <laughs> <laughs> hey i'm about to need some of those soon so but um we're gonna talk about hardest lessons we've learned as content creators is there anything that you can think of that was like a hard a hard pill to swallow regarding it? Uh, well, as I said earlier, talking. Because you know me, I'm a loner. I never like talking to people. I don't like talking in general unless I'm comfortable with a person. And if I'm alone, I'd rather think in my head than talk. So the first hard pill for me was swallowing was taking a year to figure out how to talk into a microphone and not be awkward or weirded out by it and i just remembered this is actually what i was going to talk about earlier the thing that i forgot what i was going to say was when i found gaming to be like the passionate thing i was into and stuff something that i like suggest for people to do is 
find something you're passionate about for your content creation and then find a like subject in that kind of category that you could record for hours but if it never goes to actually being uploaded you're okay with and like for example i had you know back in the day i had like two to three hundred games downloaded from itch.io and game jolt and two over 200 of those probably never went to youtube and i was fine with that because i probably got 30 to 40 maybe could be potentially like way more than that of hours of footage of just practicing and if it never went to anything it was whatever because i enjoy doing it but it wasn't a video that i was necessarily concerned about being uploaded it was more for the practice and if it happened to have been a really good practice session then i would upload it if not delete it that was a good two hours of practice there the other thing is editing bite the bullet and if you're going to do any kind of content all content requires editing to some degree doesn't matter what kind of content you're doing unless you're doing shorts with your phone and you you hit stop and go and you you accept the 20 second video but i would say probably 90 percent of content maybe 95 is edited in some way even if it's just to cut out the two seconds of you hitting start and then saying welcome to my video you know that editing is there bite the bullet and learn how to edit i hate video editing i'm moderately decent at video editing because over six years, you kind of have to bite the bullet and learn how to do it. I can't do a bunch of fancy shit, even though if I took the time, I could. It's just, I dread editing. But look at your content, learn how far you should push your editing, and learn to it. And don't don't stop short of what your kind of content could strive from. Because my Let's Plays, the style of Let's Plays that I do, I believe I hit pretty much my content, like the editing peak for the kind of Let's Plays that I do. Mine are very straightforward because my more focus is more on me and the game, not flashy edits. But when I do compilations, I try to have clean transitions, you know, the flashing text and everything popping up like that with captions and wording, you know, find what, you know, editing styles suit your video needs and then learn how to do that don't stop short just because you finally learned how to edit to cut in and out the intro and outro and the little odd bits where you gotta get up and take a pee break you know you know don't just stop there because you're settling you know keep going and try to hit whatever works for your content and to bring it quickly and talk about it we're gonna talk i'm gonna briefly go over different things that you can use to edit because there's different kinds of editing and first we're gonna talk about sound because you know i'm a sound guy um there are tons of options out there. If you want free options, Audacity, Reaper. Reaper isn't technically free, but they have a trial and you can just keep seeing, you can just keep clicking the buttons that, that says, you know, I'm still evaluating. I don't want to buy it just yet, but it's a really cheap resource. It's like $60, I think. It's really cheap for the amount of power that this program has. It's cheap, but it's very complicated. If you really want to learn these programs and learn as much as you can about sound, get Reaper. If you want something that you just want to use and it's simple and it's easy to find, you know, tons of coverage on YouTube on how to use, get Audacity. If you want to put down for the Adobe suite, Audition is a wonderful editing program. These are called DAWs. They're very powerful audio workstations, digital audio workstations. Now, if you're video editing, the king in terms of not editing on a Mac is probably Premiere Pro. Premiere Pro is the number one thing that is used in film and personal projects and indie, indie projects. On YouTube, it's probably the most used editing platform besides Final Cut. Final Cut, obviously, if you're a Mac user, go with that. iMovie, if you're on a Mac. I think iMovie comes pre-installed and all that shit, so, like, figure that out. I've never liked iMovie. I don't like Final Cut. That's just me personally. I'm obviously a PC guy. If you're looking for free alternatives, don't use Windows Movie Maker. I think I made my first two or three videos on Windows Movie Maker, and that is as powerful as about as a potato that you <sighs> mash. It's so bad. Never, never do it. I did it. I did it a lot. I was like trying to figure out how to, edit, you know, upload a 24 minute video and get it rendered through Movie Maker. Don't do it. Dude. Nowadays, Dude. you have so many amazing resources. You have 
this great, great, great program called DaVinci Resolve, which I think is honestly better than Premiere Pro. Like Premiere Pro is amazing and it's very well thought out, but it just doesn't work sometimes and it crashes on you at the worst possible times. And DaVinci, I don't have as many problems with. And DaVinci is a powerful, powerful product that's used in the movie industry specifically for color correction. If you're into color correction or want to learn about color correction, you have a very easy to use free platform to do so on. And it's got so many other benefits. You can use it as an audio editing program. I personally don't love their audio editing uh, Fairlight audio suite, but I do use it. I know how to use it competently. Using DaVinci Resolve and learning DaVinci Resolve can take you a long way. You can pick up Resolve and learn things that you can then translate to Premiere Pro and you can get editing jobs right at home. There are so many things that you can evolve to do. If content creation doesn't work out for you on YouTube as your own personal person, edit somebody else's videos and let them pay you. You know, there are so many useful things that you can learn through editing platforms. That's the only ones that I can, at the moment, think of. If you have any questions about any specifically, you can probably email us if you can find your email. It shouldn't be too hard, uh, but we'll see about that. And we'll totally answer questions about editing and how all that works. And obviously, if you're streaming OBS, I don't, I don't recommend slobs. I think it takes too many resources to do a job that OBS can do just fine on its own. Movie maker. Yeah, movie maker. Please don't use it. I remember when we, you started movie maker first, okay? You got on that boat, not me. You were in movie maker before I was. Because before I was trying to use a questionable copy of Sony Vegas Pro to edit my videos, and I kept having this error pop up. Uh, at one point and you were like bro come use movie maker it's like really cool we can do these transitions and stuff and you ended up showing me how to do these like white to black flash transitions and we were like oh my god transitions and then we did it for like 10 or 15 videos and then never went back for a good reason uh i'm <laughs> gonna get into the hardest lesson i think some of the hardest lessons i've learned and it was from the beginning, you know, everything you do sucks until it doesn't. And I think the hardest part is you don't know what's good and what isn't at a certain point. I, I think I've uploaded videos and I look back at them, even if they're recent, and I'm just like, man, I could have edited this way better. I could have done way better. And you think those thoughts a lot because you made it. And it's great to get an outsider's point of view. Remember that. The second one, again, is a really recent one. You have to know how to play that system. I'm going to bring it up again. Learn your algorithm. All of these we've actually covered. but And then my third one that I wrote down was balance between content that you want to do and content that people want to see if you want to succeed. If you're just trying to enjoy the platform, if success comes your way, it comes your way, and you just want to have fun, obviously disregard that. But if you're wanting success and you want to become a full-time YouTuber, I know that was something that we wanted when we were younger. I think we've evolved out of that a little bit. At least, I think I sort of have. Not really. Um, Shit, bro. If it hits me <laughs> up with 10 million, I'll take it. Yeah, no. I would, I would do it in a heartbeat. But I don't think it's my current goal right now. Um, but definitely, if you're looking for that success and you want to succeed... Balance what people want and what you want because you need to meet in the middle. Now, this is where we're going to spend a little bit of time and we're going to go into our greatest passion, hating video games. Um, I'm a great lover of video games. You're a great lover of video games, Brandon. And we're a great hater of publishers, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah. And one of the things that you mentioned to me because I didn't know about it, I don't think, until somebody mentioned it to me, I think it was you, that the new Battlefield 2045 is doing a yearly season pass. What do they call it? 
I forget that's what it's called. It's year one season pass. Oh, okay. So they just come out with a new one every year. I don't like the idea of pay to play. And I especially don't like the idea of making a singular game, a subscription. Oh my goodness. I think that this is so bad for the industry because the gaming industry has gotten insanely popular over the past five years. Like it's blown up way more than I think it has in a long time. And at least in terms of the the general populace, because, you know, when we were growing up, playing games was still pretty nerdy. And now everybody plays video games. That's just normal. And the idea that you have to pay a subscription for a singular title, how many how many titles do you have in your Steam library that you currently actively play? That I actively fucking play? Yeah. Oh, God. That, that you maybe? have put in 20 hours in the past three months. Maybe two? Right. How much money would you be willing to pay a month to keep playing those games? Zero. Exactly. Gone are the days where you buy $60, where you spend $60, and you get a whole ass game that you can enjoy. And sure, there's DLCs, but they're not required. Keyword, not required to play. Nowadays, it's not like that. You have to fight companies for it, like they did with Battlefront Battle Battlefront 2, the, the remake of the sequel of the other game. But you have to fight nowadays to not have a microtransaction littered hell, and now we have to fight pay to play? Like do you think we really want to pay you even a dollar a month for content that we already paid 64? Like, if you're going to release a game for $60 and then expect us to continue paying to play it, I'm probably going to be way less likely to play your game. It's just, it's just how it is. When you can purchase Rainbow Six Siege, but... All of the operators are locked behind these very large in-game paywalls. Like, how many points it requires to get enough to buy over 50% of the operators? And that's, let's, let's, let's go further. Let's say over 75% of the operators. It's insane. Like, you have to play so long. Like, you could put probably 400 hours in and barely make a dent. And I think I have. Okay, well, you also, you bought the starter edition, which was like 10 bucks instead of paying the normal price, which that's why your operators are a lot higher. But if I'll be honest, man. DLC operators are still the same price. Yeah, but Siege shouldn't have happened. I'm going to say it now. I don't care what anyone says. Siege shouldn't have happened. It got that whole chain reaction started with shit. Granted, what, like, Overwatch was also in the middle of doing this, but Siege sort of helped push getting... Uh, loot box openings in our shooters now, which was not really common except for in games like Overwatch, which is like, you know, these cartoony arcadey shooters. They've got these, you know, oh, these shiny loot boxes we can open up, you know, but a lot of shooters didn't have that. Nowadays, it's like after Siege, it's like every shooter has to have loot boxes now. And then fucking Ubisoft started with the yearly season pass, which, you know, we, I don't know about you, Chan, but you, you know, you got, you got Siege shortly after it launched. I got it on like when it launched. And I bought Season Pass a month after it launched. At the time, it was called Rainbow Six Siege Season Pass. Get the next operators, blah, blah, blah. You get these like gold skins, all this other stuff. Then Year 2 came when it came out, and they released a new one called Season Pass Year 2. And if you go back to the Season Pass for Siege, it is now called Season Pass Year 1. They changed the name of it afterwards which sort of upset me because since they started that now other games are doing that. Like you said, the battlefield, which battlefield's a little bit different compared to siege because siege, they have operators and some of their operators have these special abilities that make the game easier or harder. or They're broken operators. And if you want to play with new shit, you got to get the season pass or you got to grind credits. 
Battlefield, from what I've read, and I don't know how it's going to be because the game's not out, but it's going to be more along the lines of like Call of Duty, where you get operators who are just different looking people. They don't do anything different at all. You get no benefits but a shiny gun and a, you know, instead of playing, you know, a black guy, you could play a Hispanic guy with a a hat or something. You know, you get six different people every year is what it's going to be. It's not going to be like Siege with the skills and the abilities and stuff like that. It's just going to be just different looking people. I have two things for that, actually. So, first of all, I want to inform you about something new with Siege that I recently heard. They're changing how they give you access to those new operators. Because if you don't have season pass, you now have to wait to be able to even purchase with the in-game points. So they're basically strong-arming you into, you're going to get the pass or you're not going to play the character until we release something else. Uh, The second thing is, I don't actually mind most microtransactions in FPS shooters now. Like with Siege, the opening packs and stuff, and Overwatch and Apex, the opening of the snuff is is really all cosmetic. And I think it's really funny that in FPS shooters, so many of them are for your character. Like you can change your headpiece and your outfit in Siege. You can change how your entire character looks in Apex. And I haven't played Overwatch, so I assume you could do the same thing. The only things that kind of I find interesting are the guns because gone are the days where actually putting time and effort in playing the game granted you the cool skins. There used to be a day like in Black Ops 2 where you could get every sniper gold and then you could get the diamond skin or something. I forget exactly how you get it, but you know what I mean? You get all these really cool skins from playing the game and actually investing in it. Now you get all the cool skins by investing your money. You know, if you paid $60, pay a little bit more and maybe you'll get a cooler skin. In response to you uh, talking about Siege holding the operators, have they increased? They've always held the operators. They've always held them for two to four weeks. Season pass people have always, 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 since day one that the game came out, has always got access to the new operators and the new characters all two to four weeks before anyone else did. I think they made it till the next thing is released. Like, the next update, like or the next season or whatever yeah. they do now. Okay, now that's that's really stupid. Yeah. And the whole getting to a hundred thing, I'm not really vibing with either. I don't jive with that. There is one game that I've played, I've got hundreds of hours into it, that I fully support because they started something recently and it it pissed me off. But I've took a step back and was looking at these devs, and it's like my initial anger was wrong. Ark Survival Evolved, dinosaur game. I don't know if you've ever played it, but it's basically like, you know, it's a survival game, but instead of like all these other games and things like that, it's survival base building, but with dinosaurs. Right. It has recently, uh, I think a year, year and a half ago, announced a new season pass. It already has one out. And things like that. And they call this the Genesis Season Pass. Which gets you access to two of the new maps known as Genesis. So the reason I'm actually not bothered by this. Both the game itself costs like $60 right. Then Season Pass for $30. And each Season Pass costs $30 to $40. However. Ark is one of those few games that is actually giving you content for the season pass. And I just pulled it up. The actual game itself for Ark is 30 bucks, and both the season passes are $30 as well. And that is not on sale. That's just their regular price right now. You, If you bought season pass with Ark, you got access to like four other maps. These maps are so massive in an open world survival game every single one of them was different one of them was like underground and you got to learn how to live like in the dark and off the ecosystem of the, like the evolved animals and things like that down below one was a desert and you got to learn how to survive water you get to see like kangaroos and new types of species and things like that one is in the cold one is on like some kind of huge oasis island that's got like a mixture of different biomes one is like a futuristic electronic things where they like 
the technology is so advanced they can build biomes in these little domes and things like that. You could literally spend probably a hundred to two hundred hours per map in vanilla arc and go through and experience stuff. And I've got like hundreds of hours in that game. Let me see. I've got three hundred and three hours. So to me, like Ark is massive. And I like paid sixty bucks for it. And I probably didn't pay sixty bucks, probably get it on sale to get season pass and the normal game, which the normal game only comes with one map and they have two free maps available as well for you to get. And these maps are just so massive. And they're always adding new dinosaurs or prehistoric beings and things like that to it. That if they release a season pass and it adds two to four maps every two years, I could see that being worth paying for just for the fact that like they the amount of content that they bring with them is so much more, in my opinion, worth the $30. Not only that, the devs like fully support configuration and modding. You can go into the files of your own game and change everything from start to finish on how the world functions. You can edit every recipe in the game. You can add a thousand mods to the game. And that just expands your playtime even more and more and more. And so them, you know, charging 30 bucks for two big-ass maps. I mean, the game by itself is almost 100 gigs. If you get all the maps installed, you've got almost 400 gigabytes worth of content because their maps are so large and detailed. Right. And I think that's something that more developers should push internally because obviously we know it's not that developers hate us they want us to suffer they want us to pay more they want to rake in the money we all know that's in reality publishers and the people in charge of the company and to prevent this either we need to do something about it as the consumer or developers do but it's going to hurt the developers so much more if they do it because there's so many starving artists that just want to you know get a good job and those publishers do bring in enough money to guarantee that. But at the end of the day, when you're paying $20 a year to play your video games and continue getting the content updates that, you know, used to be were guaranteed for every player, now your money isn't going to those developers. That's what I think people also don't understand. You're not going to help those developers that made a kick-ass game for you. You're going to help some CEO that wanted a bigger bonus check at Christmas. And that's not something that I think that people should be happy about. I think, if anything, we should be outraged at this because at the end of the day, these CEOs are the guys in charge of the companies. Like, that's how capitalism works. Somebody's got to make the big bucks. But they're making so much money that it's ridiculous. It doesn't get reinvested into the company. It doesn't go into the paychecks. You're adding more and more money on for these guys at the top in suits who already have enough. So we should push to make sure that that money actually goes somewhere that will help us as consumers, us as gamers, us as content creators. It goes back to content creation because at the end of the day, those people in a way are content creators. They're making content for other people to enjoy i think we really need to focus on helping the whole industry come to the realization that we're not here to be milked for money at the end of the day this is also an art this is also a chance for players to seek joy in ways that they might not be able to in real life scenarios a majority of the time i play video games because it's a part of me. It's part of who I am. It's almost all I have some days. And for me to be treated like consumerist trash for some CEO to make way more money off of by now making it a yearly subscription is something I think everybody should look at very closely with a critical eye. I do actually have uh, two things to say before we end this. One of the things that I don't know if you ever saw much, but this is speaking for like paying for stuff with the games. Have you seen some games get updated and they update the thumbnail for their game on the store, right? And it says free community update. Have you seen that? Okay, so there are games on Steam, I don't know if they do it anymore, that added DLCs in quotations. 
to their game and they would charge anywhere from a dollar to ten dollars and what it was was updates for the game and i'm not talking like oh they added a new map or something no 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 no. i'm talking like bug fixes new weapon that should have already been in the game some changes to dialogue like updates that the devs plan to add in the original game they're adding as dlcs now that's kind of stopped a lot but you still occasionally will see these devs now putting free community update and basically what they're saying is this is an update they had planned don't worry we're not going to charge for it as a dlc and i find that to be so stupid the other thing is uh fallout 76 because this is another one of those things for paying monthly or yearly for a game basically fallout 76 you know is fallout but online and one of the things that was promised was private worlds and modding support because everybody wants Fallout co-op. Everybody wants a, an Elder Scrolls co-op. We didn't want massively multiplayer. It did great, but there's a lot of people who want the co-op aspect of Elder Scrolls and co-op aspect of Fallout. Just two friends, you know? Well, a year and a half passes after some up and down, after, you know, it was I think it was Todd Howard himself promised mod support and private worlds because when the game first came out they didn't have jack shit you could not do that the game was bare bones well they have it a year and a half later finally but there's a catch you gotta buy something called fallout first which is a premium first member membership which if you buy it you get a couple different outfits you get the ability to have a private server hosted on bethesda servers where you can invite seven friends, you get an unlimited storage component thing or whatever, blah, 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 and you get some atoms, which is their microcurrency for buying stuff in the multiplayer servers. It's $13 a month for this. Or $100 a year to have something in the game that was promised before it launched. So... The biggest aspect of Fallout 76 that people wanted, the multiplayer, and I know there's so many people who aren't playing Fallout 76 because of this, because they put it behind the paywall. It's just the co-op. That's the biggest I want, private co-op. I don't want to get on some world where some dude's been playing for 5,000 hours and knows every secret about the map and I just get decimated, or I get gangbanged by a squad of four or something like that. If I want to get on and play with my dad or play with you or you know a friend, I want to be in a private world. If we want to get mod support, the only way you can get mod support is either find a server which has like two mods on it. I don't even know if they still do that. Or pay $13 a month for mods and privacy. It's fucking stupid. There you go. We're going to call it. Thank you all for listening. And we hope to see you. Or I guess you hope to hear us again.